Uh, you're there in Luke chapter number 6, and of course we are going through a series on Sunday nights called uh, Journey with Jesus, and we are uh, on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel according to Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we find ourselves in this passage of scripture uh, that is known as the Sermon on the Plain, and if you remember last week, I won't take the time to go through it, all of it, but uh, we talked about the fact that the Sermon on the Plain is the same sermon in, in one way as a Sermon on the Mount, um, but it's a different sermon uh, uh, as the Sermon on the Mount, depending on how you look at it. And what I was telling you, my position is that it's a different sermon in the sense that it's a different sermon that was preached at a different time in a different place, but it's the same sermon in the sense that it's the same content that's being preached or the same outline. And sometimes people will use this portion of, of Luke against the Matthew portion of the Sermon on the Mount to show differences, and they'll say there's contradictions, like, for example, when it says that he preached it on a mount, and then it says he preached it on a plain. But you realize that there is no contradiction when you realize that it's just two different sermons, and uh, preached at two different places in two different times. But then people will say, well, what about all the similarities? I mean, it's obviously a very similar sermon, and that's because it's the same sermon. It's the same sermon outline, and that's something that preachers do, and uh, I, I go places and preach sermons that I've preached here and, and all of that. Obviously, when you do that, they're not ever just word for word the exact same sermon, um, but there, there are going to be differences, there are going to be similarities, but that's the answer to that question. Now, obviously, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of great teaching that is paralleled here because Jesus is teaching a lot of the same material. And in verse 27 is where we find ourselves in this portion of the Sermon on, on, on the Plain. And we're in Luke, and we're working our way through chapter 6. But chapter 6 deals with the Sermon on the Plain. We're going to spend a couple of weeks on the Sermon on the Plain. And I want you to notice in verse 27, he says this, But I say unto you which hear, and I want you to notice this little phrase that Jesus says. He says, Love your enemies. He says, Love your enemies. And what we're going to learn tonight from the Lord Jesus Christ as we make ourselves our way through this passage is this idea of how to treat your enemies. He tells us to love our enemies, and then he goes into this teaching about how you should treat your enemies and what you should do for your enemies. Now, I'd like you to keep your place there in Luke chapter 6. Of course, that's our text for tonight, and uh, we're going to be going through Luke chapter 6. But just real quickly, go with me, if you would, to Psalm 139. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms and go to Psalm 139. And do me a favor, when you get there, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it, Psalm 139. And just by way of introduction, let me make this point. That is a point that is often confused by people. And it is this, what Jesus is teaching here is how to love your enemies. And the emphasis on your is that it's how to love your personal enemies, people that you have an issue with, people that you are fighting with, someone that you would consider your own personal benefit, uh, enemy. And I want you to understand that there is a difference because we obviously believe the whole counsel of God. Amen. There are portions of Scripture that we go to and we teach and preach that other people uh, won't touch with a 10-foot pole. Uh, but sometimes people get, they, they, they look at passages of Scripture that they think are maybe contradicting each other, and they get confused because they don't really understand what the Bible is teaching, and I want to make sure you understand this. Jesus is teaching to love your enemies. He's speaking to Christians, to believers, and he's asking them to love and how to treat their own enemies. Brother David, you could help me just real quick. I, I feel like it's just a little bit of an echo. If you could help me with that, I'd appreciate it. In Psalm 139, we have something that may seem, uh, when you just look at it, uh, uh, just quickly, like a contradiction. In Psalm 139 and verse 21, the psalmist says this, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. Now, I want you to understand that there is a difference between loving your enemies and loving the enemies of God, and hating your enemies and hating the enemies of God. Because here's the thing, when it comes to your personal enemy, someone that you dislike, someone that rubs you the wrong way, here's the thing, your enemy may be a brother and sister in Christ. Your enemy may be your spouse. 
I mean, your enemy may be related to you, maybe your kid, maybe your parent, uh, maybe your pastor, I don't know. Uh, your enemy may be uh, someone that is even a believer or a saved person, uh, and, and, and that's your enemy. But the Bible tells us that we are supposed to hate the enemies of God. Amen. And see, sometimes we, we preach that, that the Bible teaches that there are people who we're supposed to hate, the Bible says. And, and people say, well, doesn't the Bible say to love your enemies? Well, yeah, it says to love my enemies, but it doesn't say to love the enemies of God. Amen. Notice again, Psalm 139, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. Who should we hate? We should hate those who hate God. Amen. Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. So notice, who are we supposed to count as enemies? We're supposed to count as enemies those that hate God. And, and, you, you know, and again, I don't have time to go into all of this. I just want to make this point. The Bible is clear that the haters of God, look, just the normal unsaved person that you work with, just the normal unsaved person that, that lives in this world is not necessarily a hater of God. But there are people who hate God. The Bible calls them reprobates. And those people we're supposed to hate. And, and, when, we, and when we say, hey, I hate the reprobate and the hater of God, and then people throw at us, well, aren't you supposed to love your enemies? Well, yeah, I'm supposed to love my enemies, but I'm supposed to hate those that hate God. And even that, I'm supposed to count them mine enemies. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. You say, well, how do you know a reprobate? And I'm not preaching on the subject of being a reprobate, but let me just go ahead and make it clear. Look, a reprobate is someone who hates the Lord. A reprobate is someone whose conscience has been seared. A reprobate is someone who will go into unnatural sins. These are haters of God. Uh, Brother Oliver, in his sermon on Wednesday night, brought up the, the Disney you know, thing. And I don't know if you've seen it in the news, but, you know, these Disneyland executives are openly talking about how they want to brainwash your children with a bunch of LGBTQ filth. Look, those are enemies of God. And, and I hate them. I hate Disneyland. You know, I hate Disney. I hate anyone who would want to try to teach your children that that perverseness is normal and natural. So understand this. When God says, love your enemies, he's talking about the people that you have conflict with, the people, they might be saved, they might just be normal people, but there are wicked reprobates who hate God, who hate the people of God, who want to destroy the work of God, and to those people, the psalmist says, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. And then sometimes people will look at this passage and they'll try to say, well, David was not right with God. When he said this, he should not have said these things. Well, notice it's interesting because in the same context, he says under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He makes it clear. David makes it clear. Hey, I'm right with God when I say, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. The word perfect means complete. Whole hatred. You say, I, don't, I thought we weren't supposed to hate anybody. Well, maybe you should start reading the Bible. Because the Bible says that God hates certain people. And obviously, everybody's born with the opportunity to be saved. Everyone that's born, God loves them. But the Bible teaches that people cross a line with God. They cross a line and become reprobates, haters of God, haters of the work of God. And to those people, we ought to hate. So I'm saying that because I don't want you to get confused and say, well, you know, are we supposed to hate the enemies of God or love the enemies of God? We're supposed to hate the enemies of God. Then who are we supposed to love? Your enemy. Your enemy that you're beefing with at church. Look, the person that you don't get along with at church is not a reprobate and is not a hater of God. In all likelihood. I mean, maybe they are. But, you know, the, 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 per, just the, the person that you're just upset with, the person you're fighting with. Now, if, if, if you're fighting with them because they're a hater of God, then that's a different story. But if it's just because you're not getting along with them, because you're having issues with them, then the Bible says that you are to love your personal enemies. And I want to make that clear because I want to make sure there's no confusion in regards to that. And let me just say this. Go back to, uh, keep your place there in Psalms and go back to Luke. When it comes to this teaching about the enemies of God and about our enemies, 
in both of these areas, this is where, for Christianity, the rubber really hits the road. Because when you, know, when you start getting up and, and, and teaching, I mean, it's amazing to me that today, in 2020 America, you get up and say, hey, we ought to hate pedophiles who literally molest and, and, and rape children. We should hate those people. They're going to die and go to hell, and, and, and I hope they all die. And then people are like, aren't you supposed to love everyone? Are you crazy? You're supposed to just love a wicked, filthy pedophile. And, but that's the culture we live in today. Well, doesn't the Bible say to love anyone? Maybe I ought to read your Bible, because God said to put them to death. Jesus said it would be better for them to tie a millstone about their neck and be cast into the sea than that they should offend one of these little ones. That's the Jesus you never hear about. That's the Jesus that's never preached about. So when it comes to loving the, hating the enemies of God, that's where the rubber meets the road. Because people get all uncomfortable. But let me tell you something. When we start teaching about loving your enemies, I'm talking about the enemy you're married to. I'm talking about the enemy you're related to. I'm talking about the enemy you go to church with. Not the wicked reprobate, just the person you don't get along with. That's where the rubber also meets the road. Because what I'm about to teach you tonight is probably the hardest part of the Christian life. I mean, tithing is easier Church attendance is easier. Bible reading is easier. Soul winning is easier. There's a lot of things in the Christian life that are a lot easier than what we're going to talk about tonight, which is how to treat your personal enemy. Well, how do we treat them? What does the Bible say? Well, let's begin. There's kind of two sections to this passage tonight. I'm going to break it up into two parts. The first part is the how. The how of how to treat our enemies. What is it exactly that we're supposed to do when dealing with our, not the enemies of God, our personal enemies? How do we do it? Well, number one, notice there in Luke 6.27, and if you're taking notes, and I'd encourage you to take notes. Number one, how do we treat our enemies? What's the how of how to treat our enemies? Number one, you ought to love your enemies. You ought to love your enemies. But I say unto you, which here, love your enemies. Jesus says, look, not the enemies of God. We hate the enemies of God. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? But my enemy, I'm supposed to love. Love your enemy. Now, you say, well, what does that mean exactly? Well, what Jesus does in this passage is the next few points, he really does kind of break down for us what it means to love our enemy. But let me just give you an example of loving your enemy. I think this is probably one of the best examples in the entire Bible, other than the examples of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, of course. And it's the example of David. Go with me, if you would, to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 24. If you find the one and two books, they're all clustered together. 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And while you turn there, let me just kind of set up the story for you. We have David, who is running from Saul. If you remember, Saul is the king, and after David killed Goliath, Saul became extremely envious of David, and basically made an enemy out of David. David is now running for his life. He's running. Uh, he's out in the wilderness, and 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 he's in caves, and he's hiding. Uh, he's got some men with him, and Saul. Please understand this. Saul was a very wicked, evil, sinful man. He was insane, all sorts of things. But please understand one thing about Saul. He was saved. The Bible tells us he went to heaven when he died. And Saul, as many bad things as he did, was not a reprobate. He was not an enemy of God. He was an enemy of David, and David was completely innocent, and Saul was completely in, in, in the wrong, but he was not an enemy of God. Now, I want you to notice, because of that, we see how David treated Saul. Because remember, what did David do with the enemies of God? Well, here's what he did with one of the enemies of God. He killed him. His name was Goliath. If you remember Goliath, David walks up and he says, I'm going to kill you, Goliath, not because I have a beef with you, but because you're not going to speak of the God of Israel in the way that you're speaking. He said, the battle is the Lord. He says, the Lord will deliver you into mine hand. David killed Goliath because Goliath was an enemy of the Lord. Amen. Saul, however, is an enemy of David. And what does David do? And again, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but if you, if you remember the story, David is hiding in a cave, and Saul 
is searching for him with all these soldiers, but Saul has to use the restroom. So he goes into a cave without his soldiers by himself to use the restroom without knowing that David and his men are in that, rest, in, in that cave. And David has the opportunity to kill Saul, and he chooses not to. Why? Because Saul was not an enemy of the Lord. Saul was his enemy. 1 Samuel 24, look at verse 10. After this whole ordeal, David comes out of the cave. After Saul comes out, David comes out of the cave. Notice what he says to Saul. 1 Samuel 24, 10. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen. This is David speaking to Saul. He says, thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee. David said, some bade me kill thee. Some people told me to kill you. They encouraged me to kill you. But mine eyes spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth mine hand. Why would David not put forth his hand against uh, Saul? Because David was a warrior. David had killed many, uh, uh, many people, and he had uh, uh, slaughtered many of the enemies of the Lord. But he said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord. Why? Here's why. For he is the Lord's anointed. See, David understood that though Saul and I are, are at odds with each other, though Saul and I would be considered enemies, Saul is not an enemy of the Lord. He is the Lord's anointed. He is the Lord's chosen king. He said, I will not put forth mine hand against Saul. Even though Saul had ran him out of town, even though Saul was trying to kill him, even though Saul had ruined his life, you say, what is it that David is doing? Here's what he's doing. He's loving his enemy. He says, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Look at verse 11. Moreover, my father, see, this is David speaking to Saul. He says, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. David was so close to Saul when Saul was in that cave that he was able to cut off a piece of Saul's robe. And he's using this as evidence. He says, moreover, my father, see ye, see the skirt of thy robe in mine hand. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, O my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept, and he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed uh, this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord, notice these words in verse 18, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. Verse 19, for if a man find his enemy, will he let him go away? Saul said, what kind of a man, when he has an opportunity to kill his enemy that's ruined his life, what kind of man would just let him go away? I'll tell you what kind of man, a follower of the Lord. A person who understands that we fight against the enemies of the Lord and we love our enemies, no matter how much they hurt us, no matter how much they ruin our lives, no matter how much they destroy us and seek to destroy us. He says, for if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done unto me, for thou hast done unto me this day. So I want you to notice that the Bible says, that we are to love our enemies. Now, the enemies of the Lord, we fight, we hate. But our enemies, and look, don't get this idea. Because I've noticed in, in, in our types of churches where we preach about the reprobate doctrine and we preach these things, is that people have a tendency, as soon as they don't like someone, they just start trying to figure out a way to make them a reprobate. Because if, if, if I can just prove that they're a reprobate, then I can hate them. Well, look, just realize not everyone that you have a beef with is a reprobate. And you need to check your own heart. Now, look, if they're a reprobate, they're a reprobate. If, they're, if they've got unnatural sins or whatever, that's one thing. But if it's just you have a problem, why don't you be David? I mean, Saul literally ruined his life. He had an opportunity to kill him, and he didn't. Why? Because David was a man after God's own heart, and he loved his enemies. So you say, well, how do we treat our enemies? Number one, you ought to love your enemies. Go, go back to Luke chapter 6. Let me give you the second thought. This morning, in regards to how to, uh, what we should do uh, to our enemies, we should first love our enemies. But secondly, I want you to notice we should do good to our enemies. 
Luke 6, verse 27, notice what Jesus said. But I say unto you, which here, love your enemies. Then he says this, do good to them which hate you. The Bible says we ought to do good to our enemies. We ought to do good to them that hate us. Now again, if they hate the Lord, that's a different story. But look, you and I have to be mature enough to realize not everybody that hates me hates the Lord. There's many Christians who hate me. They don't like me. They don't like what I preach. They don't like my stand. But they're not unsaved, wicked reprobates. They're obviously misled because who could hate me? You know, obviously they're, they're, they don't understand the Bible. You know, they, they hear Bible preaching and they don't like it because they don't understand the Bible. They don't read the Bible. They don't comprehend the Bible. But I have to be mature enough to realize, hey, that person, they hate me, but they're not an enemy of the Lord. So I'm going to love them. And I'm going to do good to them. Love your enemies. Number two, do good to your enemies. We ought to do good to our enemies. You say, well, what does that mean to do good to your enemies? Well, go to Romans, if you would. Romans chapter number 12. You're there in Luke, you're going to go past John, past the book of Acts, into the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 12. Now, you kept your place in Psalms, and I'd like you to continue to keep your place there, but do me a favor and also keep your place in Romans, because we're going to go back and forth between these two passages, and I'd like for you to be able to get there quickly, Romans chapter 12. You say, what does it mean to do good to your enemy? Here's what it means, Romans 12 and verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy, not God's enemy, Thine enemy, if thine enemy hunger, what do I do? Feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that we are to love our enemies, which means what? It means that we don't hurt them even when we get the opportunity, even if they happen to walk into the same cave that we're hiding in and we have the opportunity to to hurt them and to slaughter them and to put them to death. Loving your enemy means that you love them and you do well to them and you let your enemy go. But it not only does it mean that you don't hurt them because you love them, it also means that you actually proactively do good to them. So if they're hungry, you feed them. You don't let them starve. If they're thirsty, you give them drink. In Exodus, the Bible says this. Go to Exodus if you would. Second book in the Bible should be fairly easy to find. You have Genesis and you have the book of Exodus. Because, you know, people like, they like to teach this idea. They like to say like, well, in the Old Testament, God was angry. And in the New Testament, God is nice. In the Old Testament, you know, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In the New Testament, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Let me tell you something. Just like we're saying today, yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the same. God is the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The, the, reason that, the, the reason that people get confused is because they don't understand that in the Old Testament, you're supposed to hate the enemies of God and love your enemies. And in the New Testament, you're supposed to hate the enemies of God and love your enemies. It's the same teaching. Notice Exodus 23 and verse 4. Doesn't this sound just like the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain? Exodus 23 and verse 4. Notice what the Old Testament Mosaic Law says. It says, if thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray. You say, what does that mean? I mean, you're going down the road and your enemy... You know, your neighbor that you've been beefing with, your neighbor that you've been butting heads with, or that guy, you can't stand him, or that gal, you can't stand her. You're going down the road, and you happen to see that your enemy's ox, your enemy's ass, these are a, a, a beast of burden. These are, they're like equipment. They are wealth, they're money for your neighbor. You see that his ox got out. And it's just kind of going down the street. Or his ass got out and is going down the street. You say, what do you do? Because here's what our tendency, our, ours is like, good. I, ho I hope they never find him. You know, or, or you shoot him or something, right? But what does the Bible say? If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. You say, what? what? My enemy? Their ox is going astray. You grab them and you bring them back to your enemy. Hey, I think you lost this. Why would I do that to my enemy? Because you're supposed to do good to your enemies. Not the enemies of God. Your enemy. Just the, the church member you're fighting with. The person you're having an issue with. Notice verse 5. 
if thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden. What does that mean? It means the guy that hates you, his ass has a burden and for some it, it tripped or something happened and it's lying under its burden and it can't get up and it needs help. You know, it says, if thou seest the ass of him that hated thee lying under his burden, and would is forbear. What does forbear mean? Forbear means to restrain or abstain. He says, and would is forbear to help him. You're like, I, don't, I really don't want to help this. I really, I just don't want to see that. God says, thou shalt surely help with him. Why does God say that? Because you're supposed to do good to your enemies. You're supposed to love your enemies which means that you don't hurt them when you have the opportunity to hurt them. You're supposed to do good to your enemies, which means that you actually proactively go out of your way to do nice things for them, even though they're actively trying to hurt you. Look, you, you, know, why, you know why people don't like this preaching? It's because this, it's too hard in the Christian life. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather just tithe and go soul winning and, and go to all three church services and pretend I'm a good Christian. Now, look, I'm not minimizing that. At the very least, you need to go to all three church services, go soul winning, read your Bible, pray, and tithe. That's where you got to start. That's where we all got to start. But let me tell you something. There's way more to the Christian life than just those things. And you'll actually begin to understand whether you are becoming a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you are becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you are being like Christ, because that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. It means you would do what he would do. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ, is that you would do what he would do. You will actually know that you're actually growing when you love your enemy. And when you happen to meet your enemy's ox out in the street, you bring it back to him. When you're good to your enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. He says, do good to your enemies. Let me give you a third one. Go back to Luke chapter 6. Keep your place in Psalms. Keep your place in Romans. We should love our enemies. We should do good to our enemies. For some of you, this is just marriage, marriage sermon number two. It might just be good for you to just apply this to your marriage. It might just be good for some of you to apply this to your parenting. It might be good for some of you to just apply this at work. You should love your enemies. You should do good to your enemies. Number three, you should bless your enemies. Notice Luke chapter 6 and verse 28. Notice what Jesus says. Bless them. Notice. Bless them that curse you. Not bless them that bless you, because it's easy to bless people that bless you. But what about people who curse you? The Bible says to bless them. Now, when the Bible says curse you, that's not what we think of like someone cussing you out. Although you could, you know, you could definitely make that application if you want. But the Bible definition of the word bless is to request of God that a bestowal of divine favor be placed upon them. When you bless someone, is you're praying to God that God would bestow divine favor upon them. A blessing is when you, and it's not sarcastic, it's genuine from your heart where you say, I pray that God blesses your marriage. I pray that God blesses your health. I pray that God blesses your children and keeps them healthy and strong. I pray that God blesses your business and your finances. God says, you ought to bless. You say, who, my friends? Well, we do that normally. That's normal. But he says, you ought to bless them that curse you. You say, what does that mean? What does it mean to curse? Here's what it means. It means to wish misfortune or evil or doom. So when someone looks at you and says, I hope you die, and they're your enemy, not an enemy of God, your enemy, you say, I pray that God blesses you. And it's not sarcastic. It's real, genuine. I hope that, you know, bad things happen to you. I hope that your church dies. I hope that your uh, marriage splits. And they curse you. Jesus says you should bless them. He says, bless them that curse you. Go back to Romans, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Notice what the Bible says. Look, this is real Christianity right here. I mean, this, you are no, you, where am I in my Christian life? Base it off of this. Romans chapter 12 and verse 14. 
Romans 12, 14. Bless them which persecute you. That's the same idea as curse. Notice, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. We are not supposed to curse our enemies. Now look, all sorts of verses in the Bible, you want to learn about cursing the enemies of God, read the book of Psalms. I mean, in the book of Psalms, David is talking about like, you know, smash their teeth out of their mouths, God. Melt them like a snail, God. He's, 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 these, these imprecatory prayers where he's praying that God would just destroy them, that God would just hurt them, that God would kill them. Oh, you say, who's David praying that to? To the enemies of God. But not to his enemies. To his enemies like Saul, he loved them. He did good to them. He blessed them. We're supposed to bless. Go to Proverbs, Proverbs 24. If you kept your place in Psalms, right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 24. And do me a favor, just keep your place in Proverbs from here on. Keep your place in Romans. Keep your place in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 24. Look at verse 17. Proverbs 24 and verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. When your enemy, who's not an enemy of the Lord, just an enemy of you, you know that there are pastors who are my enemies? But I honestly believe that they're saved, that they love the Lord. They just don't like me. Well, you know, the Bible says that when they fail, when their church, you know, falters and stumbles and dies, I'm not supposed to rejoice. Rejoice not when thine, when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, God says, look, when your enemy fails, don't rejoice about it. Now, look at that in contrast to all the verses. I mean, there's all these verses about when God destroys, when God destroys Babylon, how the children of God rejoice. And they're happy and they're cheering. And look, I, my wife and I were recently just talking about this. And talking about just the wicked culture that we live in today. Where people literally think that it's, it's okay. I mean, we're going down this road where it's becoming accepted and normalized for grown-ups to have physical relationships with children. And it's becoming normal. We just put a Supreme Court justice on the bench that thinks it's normal. This is the world we live in. I was telling my wife, I can see why. I can see why when God destroys Babylon, we're all like, praise God. I mean, I just, I, sometimes I look at the stuff going on in this country and I think to myself, whenever God destroys us, it's what we deserve. It's what we should get. It's what this country deserves. That's a hatred of the wickedness and the reprobates of this world. But somebody that just hates me, I'm not supposed to rejoice when they falter. I'm not supposed to rejoice when they fail. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. And let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Lest the Lord see it and it displease him. Don't miss this. And he turn away his wrath from him. God says, when I begin to bring, take judgment upon your enemy and you start rejoicing, God may see that and, and it might displease him and he might stop. And he might turn around and start putting that on you. So the Bible says, bless your enemies. Go to Job, Job 31. You're there in Proverbs. If you go backwards, you go past the book of Psalms, into the book of Job, Job 31. If you, remember, if you remember Job in Job 31, he's having this discussion about all the bad things that are happening to him. Remember, he lost all of his children. He lost all of his wealth. His, his health went bad. His friends turned on him. Even his wife turned on him. And Job is saying, he's, he's, he's defending his integrity and his innocence. And what he's saying, I'm explaining this to you because I want you to understand the context. He's giving a list of things where he says, I can understand if God was hurting me if I had done X, Y, and Z. Now, he hasn't done those things. But he's saying, if I had done this, I could understand if God would destroy me. Or if I had done this, I can understand if God would destroy me. He's saying, I haven't done those things, but if I had done those things, that's, I, I would understand God's judgment upon my life. That's what he's saying in Job 31, verse 29. Notice what he says. He says, if... I rejoice at the destruction of him that hated me or lifted up myself when evil found him. 
He's saying, look, I could understand if I had rejoiced at the destruction of him that hated me, if I had lifted up myself when evil found my enemy, I could understand why God would be doing this to me. He says, neither have I suffered my mouth to sin by wishing a curse to a soul. Job says, I know that I'm right with God because I had all these enemies and I never one time allowed, that's what word suffer means, I never allowed my mouth to sin by wishing a curse to his soul. That's why Job is at a level in his faith that many of us will never know. That's why David was at a level in his faith that many of us will never know. Because of our unwillingness to love our enemies, to do good to our enemies, to bless and not curse our enemies. Let me give you a fourth one. Go back to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're talking about the how of how we treat our enemies. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to do good to them. We're supposed to bless them. Here's number four. Pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Let me ask you a question. How much time do you spend in prayer for the person that you consider an enemy? Luke 6, 28. Bless them that cursed you. Notice what Jesus says. Pray... Pray for them which despitefully use you. Think about those words. Those words have a lot of emotion if you've ever felt that. If you've ever felt that somebody was just using you for their own gain, for their own benefit, and they were even being despiteful about it. If somebody was just using you and using you to get ahead and using you to get whatever it is that they were wanting to get. And and you understood that. You know what God says? God says, pray. Not, Not for them that you like, although you should pray for everyone, but he says, pray for them which despitefully use you. Now, the greatest example that I could give you of this is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Go to Luke 23 if you would. You're there in Luke chapter 6. Just go to Luke 23. Luke chapter 23. You say, pray for my enemies? I mean, people that hurt me? People that, that are, are rooting against me? Again, we're not talking about the enemies of the Lord here. Maybe you've been hurt by an enemy of the Lord. Well, pray God's destruction upon them if they're a wicked reprobate. But if it's just your enemy, they've hurt you, they've stabbed you in the back, they've done wrong to you, they've cursed you, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to pray for them. Pray for your enemies. This is highlighted, or it's illustrated, by the Lord Jesus Christ beautifully in Luke 23 and verse 33. Notice what the Bible says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary. Remember what happened there? There they crucified him. Jesus is literally being put to death on the cross of Calvary, and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, verse 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now here Jesus is specifically looking at people that are not reprobates. He says they're, they're being manipulated by reprobates, but these people that are putting me on this cross, he says they don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know that they're crucifying the prince of priests, uh, 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 the, the Lord of heaven, the Son of God. He says, they don't know. And Jesus, at that moment, prayed for them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The people that were killing him, as they were murdering him, he prayed for them. So Jesus tells us, pray for your enemies. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Let me give you a fifth one. Go, go back to Luke chapter 6. I said, number one, you got to love your enemies. Number two, you got to do good to your enemies. Number three, you got to bless your enemies. Number four, you got to pray for your enemies. Here's number five. Here's, here's a word for you. Magnanimous. You, we ought to be magnanimous with our enemies. You say, what does that mean, magnanimous? Here's the definition. Being generous in forgiving an insult or injury 
free from petty resentfulness or vindictiveness. What does it mean to be magnanimous? It means to be the bigger person. See, in Luke 6.29, Jesus says, And unto him that smiteth thee on the cheek, what does that mean? Somebody smacks you on the cheek. Unto him that smiteth thee on the cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. See, the Bible teaches that we should be magnanimous, that we should be the bigger person, that we should be generous in forgiving an insult or injury, to not be petty, to not be resentful, to not be vindictive. This is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, look, when it comes to your enemy, not the enemies of Christ, your enemies, you ought to be the bigger person. You ought to turn the other cheek. Literally what that means is that you would get hit and not retaliate, not hit back, that you would forgive them, that you would say, while they're injuring you, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm sorry, if you kept your place in Romans, right after Romans, you have 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You've seen this this passage before, I've showed it to you, but let's look at it real quickly. See, being the bigger person means to be the more mature, the more self-controlled person, the more mature or self-controlled person in a situation or in arguments, even if the other person is acting childish or petty. See, you say, how do I know if I'm a mature Christian or an immature Christian? Well, are you the one that's striking on the cheek or are you the one that's turning the cheek? Because the more mature Christian, the more Christ-like person, is the one who's being the bigger person. The one who's being magnanimous, forgiving. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 6. Here we have Paul dealing with people who are fighting in church. Who would have ever thought of that? People fighting within church. In fact, these people are getting so heated in their fighting that they're literally suing each other. Can you imagine that? 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 6. But brother goeth to law with brother. Notice, these are not enemies of the Lord. They're just enemies of each other. He's, brother here is referring to a saved individual. He says, a saved brother in Christ is going to law with a saved brother in Christ, and that before unbelievers. What does Paul say to do about it? Verse 7. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. He says, why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? See, what does that mean? It means to be magnanimous. It means to be the bigger person. It means to say, you know what? You can win, I'll lose. Go ahead. You can have it. You can sit there. You can go. Well, it it means that you're the bigger person. You don't make a big deal. You've heard me say this before. Carnal Christians take little issues, little problems, and they make a big deal out of it. And mature Christians take a big deal and a big problem, and they make a little issue out of it. Sometimes I am told as a pastor of situations, uh, and, it's, and it's something that I'm just like, wow, what in the world? What? I can't believe that. And I'll go to a Christian. I'll say, I am so sorry. We need to deal with this right now. And they're like, Pastor, it's okay. I've already forgiven it. Amen. Amen. I think to myself, there's a mature Christian. And then other times we have situations where like, they, they sat on my chair, and you know that I sit there. Everybody knows I sit there. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, good night, Really? And it's like they're ready to split the church over something stupid. And I think to myself, there's a carnal Christian. There's an immature Christian. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to your enemies. Bless your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Be magnanimous with your enemies. Here's number six. Go back to Luke chapter six. You ought to give to your enemies. Give to your enemies. Now, when... When he says give to your enemies, the context is that you give to your enemies when they're taking something from you. So they're taking something that belongs to you, and you just say, that's okay, you can have it. Luke chapter 6 and verse 30, give to every man that asketh of thee, and him that, notice the context, taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. They're taking what belongs to you. Well, a mature Christian says, that's fine. You can have it. I'm not going to fight with you about it. 
Let me tell you something. So one thing that I've, I've always tried to just follow in my life and in our ministry is I, I never want to fight with somebody about money. Money is such a, a petty, stupid thing in this world. It's just such a corrupt thing that just don't, just make a rule out of it. Don't fight with people about money, about, about things. Well, they said that they were, just let them have it. But, but they were supposed to bring it. Just, just give to every man that ask of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. That's real Christianity. That's being a believer, a follower. Not, excuse me, not a believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in Matthew, on the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 40, And if any man will sue thee at the law and take thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Just give to your enemies. Give to your enemies when they are taken from you. Go back to Luke chapter 6. If you're not there, Luke chapter 6. So we saw this first section of, the, of, of this sermon that Jesus is giving. The how of how to treat our enemies. We should love our enemies. We should do good to our enemies. We should bless our enemies. We should pray for our enemies. We should be magnanimous with our enemies. We should give to our enemies. That's the how. That's the what we do. Now just real quickly, as quickly as we can, let me give you the why of how we treat our enemies. Because you're like, okay, well, all that sounds great, but why would I want to do that? Well, Jesus gives us reasons why you should want to do what we just learned about. Why you, would, you should want to love your enemies and do good to your enemies and bless your enemies and pray for your enemies and be the bigger person with your enemies and give to your enemies. Why would you want to do the how, why? Let's talk about real quickly the why of how to treat our enemies. Number one, here's why. Because we should treat people the way we want to be treated. Don't miss this. You say, I know that. Okay, listen. We should treat people the way we want to be treated, not the way they treat us. Notice what he says, Luke 6.31. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. This is what's known as the golden rule. Jesus is the one who taught this. It's often not attributed to him. But the golden rule is this. Treat people the way you want to be treated. But here's the thing about the golden rule that a lot of people don't understand. Is that the golden rule is given in many different passages in many different ways. And you really have to put them all together to get the full context. So let me give you another passage that's not as well known where we get the golden rule as well. Proverbs 24. If you got your place there in Proverbs, Proverbs 24. And in Proverbs 24, this is a little more my style. It's given in a negative way. It's given in, in the flip side. So the positive side of the golden rule is, and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Now, usually, if you get up and preach a sermon on the golden rule that we should treat people the way we'd like to be treated, no one in this world is going to disagree with you on that. Everyone's going to be like, of course, yeah, treat people the way you want to be treated. You ought to treat people the way you want to be treated. Okay, but here's the flip side to that rule. Proverbs 24, verse 29. Say not... I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. See, the other side of the golden rule is that we should treat people the way we want to be treated. Yes, but we should treat people the way we want to be treated even when they are mistreating us. Because usually we want to treat people the way we want to be treated when they're treating us the way they'd like to be treated. We're like, well, we can get along with that. But what if they're treating you in a bad way? What if they're cursing you and hurting you and despitefully using you and trying to uh, 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 destroy you? I mean, do you realize, I don't know if you realize, there are literally people in this world that have made, have made it their mission in life to destroy this church. Now, some of them are reprobates, and we hate them, and we pray that God kills them, and I've got a whole list of those people. But some of them are not. Some of them just don't agree with us, just don't like us. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to treat people the way we'd like to be treated, even if they're treating us bad. Not the way they treat us. Say not, I will do so to him as he has done to me. See, usually we say, well, they're being mean to me, so I'm going to be mean back. Well, that's, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to treat people the way we'd like to be treated, even when they're not treating us right. We're supposed to treat people the way they'd li- we'd like to be treated, not the way they are treating us. 
Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Say, well, why, why, would I, why would I do these things? Why would I love my enemies and do good and bless and pray and be the bigger person and give to them? Why would I do this? Because we should treat people the way we'd like to be treated, not the way they're treating us. But here's number two. Here's a different reason why you should. Go, go back to Luke chapter 6. Why should we treat our enemies this way and love our enemies and pray for them? Here's why. Because it is commendable to do things not for personal profit. I love this little section of scripture that Jesus gives us here in Luke 6.32. I want you to notice it. He says, for if, Jesus says, if ye love them which love you, he says, if ye love them which love you, notice this little phrase, maybe even underline this phrase in your Bible, what thank have ye? See, the word commendable means to be worthy of praise or worthy of thanks. Here's what Jesus is saying. When you love people that love you, there's nothing praiseworthy in that. There's nothing commendable in that. There's nothing commendable in being nice to people that are nice to you. He says, for if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Notice verse 33. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. See, when you give to people hoping they'll give to you, there's nothing thankworthy in that. There's nothing commendable about that. You say, when is my life commendable? Here's why. When, when you give to those hoping to receive nothing in return. Amen. When you're good to those that are bad to you. Amen. When you love those that hurt you. Then God says, that's commendable. That's thankworthy. What thank have ye? What thank have you if you're nice to people that are nice to you? Everybody does that. What, here's what he's saying. What's so special about your Christian life when you're doing what every unsaved person does? They're nice to people that are nice to them, and they're mean to people that are mean to them. That's no different than anyone else. He says there's nothing commendable about that. But he said, you know what's commendable? When somebody hates you, and they've destroyed your life, and they've ran you out of town, and they've taken your wife and given her to another man, and they put a death sentence upon you, and they put rewards upon you, and you're now running for your life, and you find them in a cave, and you have the opportunity to kill the man that's destroyed your life, and you love them. That's so commendable, it gets put in Scripture, and we talk about it thousands of years later. But liking somebody that likes you, everyone does that. I mean, being nice to people that are nice to you, that takes no effort. You say, why should I do these things that Jesus is saying to love your enemies, to do good to your enemies, to bless your enemies, to pray for your enemies, to be magnanimous to your enemies, to give to your enemies? Here's why. Because we should treat people the way we'd like to be treated, not the way they treat us. Because it is commendable to do things even if it has no personal profit for us. You say, I don't, I'm not really moved by any of those. Okay, how about this one, number three? Why should we treat our enemies this way? Here's why. Because of the rewards you earn in heaven. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, notice what he says. He says, but love ye your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. Notice what he says, don't miss it. And your reward shall be great. You know what the Bible says? That when people mistreat you and you do good to them, God says, I'll reward you for that. Why would God reward you? Because it's commendable? Because it's special? Go to Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. We read, remember in Romans where we read, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Well, that's actually a quote from the book of Proverbs. Paul is quoting in Romans uh, Proverbs chapter 25. I want to show you what he's quoting in Proverbs 25 because there's something in Proverbs 25 that I'd like you to notice. Proverbs 25 and verse 21. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if it be thirsty, give him water to drink. 
For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Let me tell you something. When somebody's mean and rude to you, and you don't retaliate, you, the Bible says you heap coals of fire on his head, and you know what? You come off looking like the mature one, and they come off looking like an imbecile. Do you understand that? When, you see, when somebody takes a jab at you and you take a jab back, you both look like idiots. But when somebody takes a jab at you and you refrain yourself and you love your enemies and bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them which is rightfully use you, you, put, you heap coals of fire upon their head. There's actually a very famous example of this literally uh, uh, recently. And I hesitate to bring this up because I don't know either one of these people and they might both be reprobates and I don't know. And if that's the case, you know, whatever. But there was recently this, this uh, story where, where Will Smith, who's an actor, you know, smacked uh, Chris Rock, who's a comedian, you know, on live TV, TV or whatever. And look, I don't know anything about them, and they might both be wicked as hell, and I'm sure they are. But the point is this, in that instant, just in that instant, even if you don't know anything about them, you know who looked like an idiot? The guy who slapped the other guy. Right. And you know, you know who looked like the person that had a self-restraint? The person that did not retaliate. That's just reality. So even unsaved people, when they just restrain themselves, they look like the wise person. So why don't you do it? Amen. When you're saved, you got the Holy Spirit of God. You got the Word of God. You got a pastor that's helping you and a pastor's wife and a family that loves you. Why don't you learn to live like that? Amen. We, see, we get to do it. See, those guys, I don't know if they're, I mean, I'm sure they're not saved. Maybe they're saved. They just do that and look good in front of the world and die and go to hell. You and I can love our enemies and be rewarded in heaven as a result. And look, let's just be honest. There's not that many opportunities for you to be rewarded in heaven. Don't miss those opportunities. When somebody who's saved and they love the Lord and they just happen to not like you and they're mean to you or they take a jab at you or whatever, and look, just here's an opportunity to earn some rewards. God bless you. And, and not cocky or arrogant, just really, I, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. I don't retaliate. I don't, I don't want to put that on you. I hope God does bless you. David loved his enemies, and God blessed them highly for it. So why should we treat our enemies this way? Well, because we should treat people the way we want to be treated, not the way they treat us. Because it is commendable to do nice things with no personal profit. And it is not commendable to be nice to people that are nice to you. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's nothing. You're not going above and beyond. You're not doing anything special. Because you earn rewards in heaven. He says, great, your reward shall be great in heaven. Notice there, Proverbs 25, 21. If an enemy be hungry, give him uh, bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. God says, I'll reward you. When you love your enemies. You say, I, I don't care about that. Okay, how about this one? Go to Luke chapter 6, look at verse 35. I'm giving you reasons why. Why you would want to love your enemies. Why you want to do good to your enemies. Why you want to bless your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Be the bigger person. Give to your enemies. Why would you want to do that? Uh, because we should treat people the way we want to be treated. Because it's commendable. Because of rewards. Here's number, uh, number four on this list of why. Because of your Christian testimony. Amen. I mean, I hope that's a good enough reason for you. Amen. Luke 6.35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. You say, I don't care about that. Okay, how about this? And ye shall be the children of the highest. Now, this verse is not saying that when you do these things, you become the children of the highest, because you become the children of the highest when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're born again into the family of God. You say, what is Jesus saying? Here's what he's saying. When you act this way, people will look at you and say, there goes the child of God. Amen. You will be seen as the children of the highest when you love your enemies, do good to them and hate you, lend to them hoping for nothing again. And ye shall be your children of the highest. You say, why would people, if I did these things, love my enemies, bless them that curse me, do good to them that hate me, pray for them which is rightfully used you. If I did those things, why would people look then at me and say, There's, that must be a Christian. There goes a Christian. Here's why. Look at the last part of verse 35. For he, God, is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. See, God himself loves his enemies. God himself 
is kind to those who are unthankful and those who are evil. And when you and I do that, we are being like Christ. And people will say, there goes a child of God. Is there any wonder that Jesus on the cross, the Roman soldiers, the Roman soldiers are killing him. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then when he gives up the ghost, the Roman soldier says, truly this was the Son of God. His, what he saw Jesus do on that cross, that, that this must have been the Son of God. And I'm here to tell you, when you love your enemies and you pray for your enemies, people say, that must be a Christian. That must be what a Christian is supposed to be like. They must be a child of the highest. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We're almost done. We'll be done here in a couple of minutes. John 13. You're there in Luke, past John. John 13, verse 34. See, your Christian testimony should be a reason why you would want to love your enemies and do good to your enemies and bless your enemies and pray for your enemies and be uh, magnanimous with your enemies and give to your enemies. John 13, 34, notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Here's the, you say, that's not new. You know, it's interesting because you look at this passage, and Jesus says, let me give you a new commandment. He looks at his eyes and says, a new commandment give I unto you. They're like, okay, Jesus, let's hear it. That ye love one another. And the disciples are thinking to themselves, that's not new. Leviticus tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus says, no, you're not, you're, you missed it. That's not the new part. Here's the new part. That you love one another. Here's the new part. As I have loved you. He says, the new part is that you love one another, not your neighbor as yourself. That's good. But that you love one another like I have loved you. Because Jesus says, I prayed for my enemies. I loved my enemies. I died for my enemies. He says that you love one another. But now notice verse 35. I don't want you to miss this. By this, by what? That ye love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If ye have love one to another. See, you know why you should love your enemies and do good to them and bless them and pray for them and be the bigger person and give? Here's why. Because when you do that, it's a testimony to others that you are a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that is what Christianity should look like. Again, I'm not talking about hating some wicked pedophile, some reprobate. I'm talking about just your neighbor, your co-worker, your fellow church member. Let me give you the last one. We'll finish up. Luke chapter 6. We talked about how, the how of how to treat your enemies, love your enemies, do good to your enemies, bless your enemies, pray for your enemies, be uh, magnanimous with your enemies, give to your enemies. We talked about the why of how to treat our enemies because we should treat people the way we want to be treated, not the way they treat us because it is commendable to do things for no personal profit and when you just are nice to people that are nice to you, there's nothing commendable about that because of the rewards you earn in heaven, because of your Christian testimony. And here's the last one and you say, none of those convinced me, Pastor Jimenez. None of those convinced me. I don't care about any of those. Well, then hopefully this last one convinces you and if this last one doesn't convince you, then... Go ahead and waste your life. Why should I love my enemies? Here's why. Because you were once the enemy of God. Do you know the Bible says that? That we were the enemies of God. We were at odds with God. And he loved us. You say, why should I treat my enemies like, like that? My unsaved or even saved enemies. Here's why. Because of how God treats you. Luke 6, 36. Jesus finishes this section of his sermon by saying, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Go to Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll finish up. If you kept your place in Romans, you go past 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Why should I love my enemy? Here's why. Because I was once the enemy of God, and he loved me. Why should I love my enemies? Because I've been forgiven much. But they said mean things about me. Look, if you were honest, you know that you've said mean things about people. But they hurt me. You've hurt people. But they're not right. You're not right. Next, next time we're in this passage, we're going to see next week that he talks about hypocritical judgment. 
talks about removing the beam out of your own eye before you start making a big deal about other people. And the truth is this, that we have been forgiven much. Say, why should I love my enemy? Because of how God treats us. Ephesians 4.31, we'll finish up. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Ephesians 4, look at verse 32. And be ye kind one to another. Be ye kind one to another. I don't want to. Be ye kind one to another. Tender-hearted. I don't want to. Tender-hearted. You know what it means to have a tender heart? It's the opposite of hard. Not hard, not callous, tender. Forgiving one another. Why would I do that? Here's why. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. See, the truth is this. It's hypocritical to receive God's forgiveness and to then not extend forgiveness to others. It's hypocritical to receive God's mercy and to then not extend God's mercy to others. It's hypocritical that God would take his curse and his wrath off of us and give us his blessing and then for us to not extend that blessing upon others. The truth is the biggest motivator, I mean, I think your Christian testimony should motivate you. I think your reward should motivate you. I think the fact that it's commendable should motivate you. I think the way we treat people should be a motivation. But honestly, the biggest motivation for loving your enemy is because God loved you. And you're a hypocrite to do anything different. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I I realize that this, this is probably, I mean, the reason that this is in the Sermon on the Plain, this is the Sermon on the Mount, is because this is the climax of the Christian life. I mean, this is it. Bible reading and prayer time and soul winning and all of that should be leading us to this point. This is real discipleship. And it's so hard. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn this. I pray you'd help us to learn to love, not, not the enemies of the Lord, our enemies. Other saved people that, we, that have just hurt us and done us wrong. Even unsaved people that aren't reprobates, they're just unsaved and they've hurt us and they've betrayed us. Help us to love them, to bless them, to do good to them, to pray for them. Help us to be like Christ. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.